March 19th, 2020. I'm Avi Kaufman. And I'm Ron Scharf. And this is Accent Insights. Today, we have a special guest with us, uh, one of our favorite real estate attorneys, David Jaime. He's been on our podcast uh, two times before, and we're checking in with him today about how COVID-19 is affecting real estate closings and all things real estate. Third time's a charm, guys. <laughs> well, we're hoping to have you on more than that, but you know, that sounds this good. will be our best sounds uh, good. Uh, David, tell us what's what's going on. I mean, our, we're, we've been talking a little bit on our podcast about what we're seeing just in the you know in the realm of showing real estate, buying and selling. What are you seeing as a closing attorney? What's what's going on on your end of this situation? So uh, a lot. Um, obviously, uh, you guys see your clients from getting them into the house, getting them to like at the house, getting them to want to purchase it, or getting the house sold for for the seller. I am on the front lines of the rest of the process, um, making sure as the middleman that all the other processes between the lender, you guys, and the client um, happen. And there are hurdles, my friends. <laughs> I've always wondered who does that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are. There have been hurdles. There have been hurdles. Um, the the process that we have had been created with people being able to be around each other. <laughs> and uh, we are going through a transition right now of technology filling in for as much of that as, as we can. Um, and where are you finding that technology is filling in and, and where where is it still sort of lagging? So I, I guess mainly by, by technology, I mean, uh, electronic signatures. Um, uh, I did a, I did uh, uh, the majority of a closing yesterday on FaceTime with the clients in the conference room and, and me in the other room per the request of the of the clients. Um, I witnessed their signatures and then did the, did the rest of the closing outside of the room. Um, oh. And more and more, I'm hearing from agents who are FaceTiming their clients walking through the house where the clients don't want to go there um, and or the seller does not want them there. So it's, a, it's an interesting time. So, uh, you know, closings are still happening. What kind of dramatic things are you seeing at the state level? I think dramatic is a, is a great word for it. People are scared. People are frightened. Um, they have every right to be frightened. And we're seeing things as simple as a seller not wanting to allow the bank's appraiser into the property all the way down to the most dramatic. And what I see is the registry of deeds being closed. Um, we have the oldest system of registries in the country, and for them to all be closed to visitors, um, some of them still allow uh, you to come in and drop off documents for recording. Some still allow you to actually record yourself, but all of them have stopped you from doing the closings inside the registry. And all of them have advised that they would much rather you not come in and record electronically which most attorneys have been doing for some time. But we are looking to the future and seeing that there's a possibility that that might not be an option anymore. And the registry actually closed, like we saw happen on uh, Monday of this week, where the Middlesex Registry of Deeds flat out closed, and there was no recording possible there for that day. Wow. So now, David, that's, that's a really uh, important point, because we... 
we and you both act as escrow agents for our clients. You know, we hold deposits and then you hold, you know, big money when it comes in for the transaction from the mortgage or the, you know, the, the balance for the closing. Um, and we are not allowed to release that money until we're told by you, the closing attorneys, that that the the deed has gone to record, that it's been recorded, that the transaction has happened. So what what's going to happen if, as you say, the registry closes like it did this week in Middlesex? What happens then? So that was a bright red shining light that uh, was flashing all over the state where um, the industry was suddenly jolted into realizing that this is real and uh, there is a solid micro effect to your doing business in real estate or the lack thereof. So we had we had many many high level conversations we had uh many many directives from uh the title insurance companies from reba which is the real estate bar association in massachusetts from uh, mar and uh the title insurance companies stepped in and introduced uh, a uh, process called gap insurance which has been around in uh many many other states including the closest one to us being new york um, where the closing occurs. So this is in a situation where you flat out cannot record at that registry. And so the closing would then occur and the uh, documents are all signed. The deed is passed from the seller to the buyer. And in recorded land, technically title has now passed to the buyer. And the next step normally, as you know, would be to uh, race to the uh, registry of deeds to put it on record and cut off any other owners, alternate owners to the property. So in, in a case where the seller has given you a deed, you paid for it and then turned around and given a deed to to another person and is trying to commit fraud, you get your deed on on record and you are you've given notice to everyone that you are the you are the owner. And so what happens in this situation is we close, the deed is passed, but there's no registry to record in, so the buyer is not fully safe. And so the gap insurance here steps in, and the buyer is then insured from the time that the closing occurs up until the time the registry opens and the deed is put on record. And because there is now insurance there, we can disperse funds to the seller. So the seller gets their money, the buyer takes possession of the property, and you, my friend, can release the, uh, the escrows that you're holding. So are there, are there exceptions to this? Uh, can you do this on any property? Would I be on here if there were no exceptions? <laughs> you are an exceptional always... guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. There are, there are exceptions. And, and exceptions are built in mainly to protect the insurance company who's stepping in to help, right? So everybody wants this closing to happen. They're stepping in and saying, we'll take the responsibility, we'll take the liability for, for this period, but they want their liability to be minimized. And how do we minimize that? They want to make sure that the sellers have been good boys and girls. They have, uh, in the past, not had financial issues where you see a notice of foreclosure on their current mortgage 
they have not had attachments put on or executions put on or child support liens put on or tax liens, all of which would indicate to the title insurance company that there's a good possibility during this gap period, something else is going to come on and we're going to be stuck with it or stuck dealing with it. In situations like that, they've advised that absolutely you cannot (laughs) do the closing and uh, have gap insurance cover. They don't want the risk. The bigger issue, the bigger exception is registered land. Now, I said that in in a recorded land, deed passes to uh, the buyer and title has now passed to to the buyer. The registered land statute in Massachusetts, what it says is that once the deed is passed to the buyer, it means nothing. The only time that title actually passes to the buyer is when the land court has reviewed the deed and registered it, filed it on the certification for that property. So the advice from the title insurance companies has been they will not uh, insure registered uh, properties for this gap period. And, and you know, we had a big outcry of how can this be? We have a lot of uh, registered properties in Massachusetts. What are we going to do about those? And uh, a couple of them have started to back away a little bit and come up with ways to um, still give the gap insurance. But as a, as an industry, we're still not there. Wow. So that's that's a big deal if you're if you're dealing with um, registered land. Now, in my business, and Avi, I don't know if this is true for you. I only see registered land about 10% of the time. Does that, does that seem right, David? Is so, that- yeah, I mean, I think, I think the number is about 15 to 20% of Massachusetts properties are registered and that number can swing way high or way low, depending on what County you're in. I think Barnstable County, uh, has the most registered from my experience, um, Middlesex, uh, and then, Norfolk, I think also, and then it kind of works its way down as you go to uh, West. Yeah. And just to back up for our listeners, land is either registered or recorded. Uh, That's what we're talking about is how is it put in the registry of deeds? That's right. So a a registered um, land is literally governed over by the land court in Boston and everything that happens to that property on record has to be approved by a clerk of the land court, whereas recorded land, it just needs to be recorded on the indexes. And there is not really uh, somebody reviewing the documents to make sure that everything is A-OK. So so that's fascinating. So um, now, look, some of these sales are still happening. You know, even earlier this week, I had a home inspection and uh, and went, well, they're, they're proceeding on to the purchase and sale uh, agreement, which is the next step in the in the home sale process. Has there been a, um, a consensus in, in among the real estate attorneys? Should there be extra language to protect from some of these circumstances? Or is the current purchase and sale sufficient? H- how are you approaching that? Uh, so real estate attorneys and probably attorneys in general are creatures of habit. We have used the same standard form language more or less for Uh, I don't know, probably 30, 40 years. Even when seller's attorneys or buyer's attorneys enter in a buyer's addendum or a seller's addendum, most of that language has been vetted. It's the same language you see over and over. You delete the same things. You you argue over the same things. It's very rare for an attorney to throw in random language. 
And the reason for that is we want to make sure that we know how that language is going to affect this deal. And when we've seen the same language over and over and seen its effect on hundreds of deals in the past, we're comfortable with it. The first time in a long time, really, that we saw brand new language was in 2015 when um, TRID came about and we had to have a new uh, rider put on. And TRID stands for? Oh, TRID stands for TILA RESPA Integrated Disclosure. And I believe that was part of the um, Dodd-Frank law in the in Congress. Where that came from was to make sure that buyers are protected in uh, when they're when they're obtaining a mortgage, and they needed to have enough time to review the uh, closing figures um, and to make sure that they were comfortable with them, and it wasn't a surprise at the at the closing table. Um, now we have a similar situation in that there is a crisis. The fundamentals of our economy are sound this time around. However, the structure in which we have done a real estate transaction is failing us in some ways. Um, there are towns where the fire departments are not doing smoke detector or carbon monoxide certification. There are towns where the tax collector's office is closed and we are not able to figure out what the taxes to the property are. Um, there are towns where permitting the inspector's office has closed down and we can't obtain permits. Um, all of these things, never mind, uh, God forbid, the buyer or the seller actually catching the virus and being in quarantine would affect the ability of uh, the seller to close on uh, the sale of their home or the buyer to buy. I, I and my firm uh, sat down and looked at the different types of language that we're seeing and uh, came to a middle ground uh, that, that we like to see in, in the purchase and sale agreements. I've gotten different versions from other attorneys and I made my edits to them to protect my clients as, as much as I can. And the consensus really is that there is an unknown and we're trying to create language for an unknown. So if the transaction is affected by COVID-19, bl blanket statement, then the parties, either the seller or the buyer, can ask for an automatic 30-day extension on the closing date. So if we're not able to close due to COVID-19, the transaction um, is extended for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, dependent on what that language says. And I've seen many different versions of it already. I've seen ones that are for 10 days and then 15 and then 20 and then 30. Um, I thought that was too complicated. Um, I've seen ones that are straight out 90 days and the buyer and seller can walk that back to when they can actually close. So, but But the language is being... Uh, negotiated literally between the two attorneys. And the the basis of it is that an extension will be allowed because there is an unknown and the unknown can affect either side. We don't know if it's going to be the buyer who can't get a mortgage because of it. And we don't know whether it's the seller that's going to be quarantined and can't close because of it. Wow. Now, you've just described what happens in a, in a case of corona having an impact on, on people's ability to show up. I mean, not to be too morbid, but what happens in the worst case scenario if, you know, people are buying a home and 
and one of them dies, or if one person is buying a home and, and dies uh, before, you know, before the closing. Um, so that's general, uh, general contract law, right? Um, if there are two parties to a uh, purchase and sale agreement purchasing a property and one of them passes away, technically the other party is still liable to um, finalize the purchase and uh, sale agreement. Um, I have often used language and seen language um, on the other side be put in that if uh, any of the parties become extremely ill or pass away, that the transaction will be terminated, that the, the party who, who that happened to, either them or their remaining borrower or buyer can terminate the agreement and vice versa on the, on the sell side. If there is a seller who passes away, the other seller, there's two sellers, the other seller still has to sell. If it's one seller or both sellers, God forbid, this, this really is morbid, uh, <laughs> pass away, then um, technically the, the buyer can still request that the heirs finalize the, uh, the transaction. Um, so those processes are already in place. However, you know, in any normal real estate transaction, a party passes away and they want the transaction terminated most of the time the remaining parties will will do the right thing you know in in reality these situations are too much work and the deposits are not high enough for for that to really play out the deal dies and the uh, seller puts it back on the market or something is negotiated with the uh, with the deposit money so, so essentially, I mean, the, what it comes down to is there's what the law says and how that works. And then there's what people actually do and what their options are to actually recover. And given the expense and the recovery, theoretically, someone could pursue uh, a widow or a widower to the ends of the earth to buy or sell but uh, or to get their deposit. But because of that effort, people tend to do the right thing anyway. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good way of putting it, Ali. Thanks. Okay, obviously, we, we hope no one has to encounter that, whether through COVID or, or any other reason. Um, but David, what happens, I mean, with, with COVID, um, is anything being discussed right now in order to make closings more feasible? I mean, what about remote notarization, any other use of technology that's going to help closings that are in the pipeline or transactions that are in the pipeline actually get to close? So from my understanding and and this this was something that just came out today uh, on on a high level on on the federal level there has been a proposed law to allow for remote notarizations to occur and from my understanding the way that that is being crafted it will not affect the uh, lack of a remote notarization law in uh, Massachusetts. And if that moves forward, we will join with many other states that had already uh, adopted a remote notarization act. And if that can happen, honestly, the landscape as we know it in Massachusetts will absolutely change. For COVID-19, of course, you have an elderly client, you have a pregnant client, you have a, uh, a client with immune deficiency issues, to be able to send the documents to them electronically, to be able to uh, notarize their signatures electronically would change the ball game altogether. 
And frankly, uh, I don't know in the long term that it will be a plus or a minus, but for the situation that we're facing right now, I can only imagine that it would be a plus to um, take away a lot of the anxiety that the industry has and buyers and sellers have. Thank you. I think that's a good note to, to end on right there. Sort of a hopeful note of how uh, things are changing to, to help people and um, what we might see coming forward. Thank you, David, so much for joining us again. And I uh, wish you health and safety. Just so everyone knows, we're doing this recording remotely. We're not actually sitting together. We're taking the uh, isolation orders very seriously. But thank you for, for jumping on the podcast session with us. And I know our listeners will appreciate it as well. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Thank you both for uh, having me on. And again, as, as I keep saying, all of this is fluid. Uh, literally everything I just said can change uh, tomorrow. So if it um, does, you'll be back next week to tell us what, uh, <laughs> what the status I like is. That. I like that. I like that. Um, this is a small community of uh, professionals and we have a good history of banding together in tough times. And uh, this is this is no different. If anyone has any follow-up questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We're info at accentbrookline.com or give us a call. Our numbers are in the show notes. Uh, Wishing everyone good health and safety. Stay well, everyone. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you.